So uh, this is a good question to ask yourself periodically, and it's a question that I like to ask people when they come to church, and uh, it's the title of the message today, and you can see it right there on your bulletin. The question is, why are you here? Why are you here? They say, well, you know, I got invited to church today, or I just felt like I wanted to come and check it out. But see, what I really mean is, why are you here, right? So some people think that, you know, everything is by accident, it's all random, and you know, you just sort of make it up as you go, there's no real reason. In fact, uh, a very famous atheist by the name of uh, Dawkins says, why is a stupid question? And I would say it's the most profound question that we ask, and we often ask, why are you here? There is a purpose, there is a reason. When we turn to the Word of God, we find that you and I were created for a purpose, and if we pursue that purpose, we will find that we're more than happy because happy is up and down, right? You feel happy one day and not so happy another day. In fact, you know, throughout the same day, you may not feel happy or happy and all these different emotions. But purpose is not determined by our emotions. It's not even determined by our circumstances. Our purpose is determined by the God who created us because uh, he created you for a reason. He put you down here on earth for a reason. Now, there is a reason that is, um, is for every single one of us. It's not different for us. And I'm not when I ask why you're here and you think there's an answer. The answer is not uh, your career or your family relationships fundamentally. There is a more basic reason than that. And so we're going to look at two primary scriptures that are going to help us to understand that. And then I'm going to use Rick Warren's breakdown of those two primary scriptures to give you what he calls the five purposes. Now, if you want to get into this deeper, uh, you can get the book, The Purpose Driven Life, or you can review it if you read it years ago. I think it came out in about 06 or something like that, and it's sold over 30 million copies. Um, but Rick Warren just went from scripture to scripture and he really laid this out well. So for two weeks, the previous two weeks, I went from a prophetic book called Haggai and I told you that we need to be about the business of building the church. And that doesn't mean just building a building. It doesn't even mean building a particular institution or even a particular congregation, although we need to do those things. Building the church means building you and building me and building us together as something that God can be glorified in and with. So why are you here? Well, Jesus was asked one time, uh, actually he was probably asked more than once, but I'm going to refer to a particular time when he was asked by a lawyer, a, a, call him a biblical lawyer, a scriptural lawyer. And uh, he said, teacher, rabbi, what is the greatest commandment in the law, right? So that's what we would call the great mandate. Well, you know, we could look at the 10 commandments. We could say, well, the first commandment is have no other gods before me. Uh, you know, uh, we could go right through those commandments, right? Don't make any idols and don't use the Lord's name in vain and observe the Sabbath and keep it holy and honor your father and mother. But see, there are commandments that are above even the 10. And the fundamental commandment of all commandment is what? You probably know it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. And that's not even in the Ten Commandments. It's a part of what uh, the Jews called the Shema, Shema Israel, which means, listen, pay attention, Israel. The Lord our Lord, the Lord our God is one God. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
or it breaks down with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So here's the question. Do you pursue that? Do you seek to love God with all you are? Now, our idea of love is that love is somehow, uh, it's, uh, it's an emotion, it's a deep feeling that we have towards someone. Uh, affection, we might think of as a synonym for emotion. But love basically is to put someone or something else above other things and act in the best interest of that person. So what we're doing is we're saying that we put God above all else and to act in his best interest is just to fear him and to glorify him. And then Jesus said right on the heels of that command, right? I mean, probably almost in the same breath, Jesus said, and the second command is like it. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, let's go back to the Ten Commandments. The first uh, commandments, the first four focus on our relationship with God. The next six focus on our relationships with one another. Honor your father and mother, right? Do not murder, uh, do not commit adultery, do not bear false witness, do not steal, do not covet. That's all about our relationships one, with one another. But um, the Apostle Paul boiled that all down. He said, if you love your neighbor, if you love one another, then you have fulfilled the law. Because if you love somebody, are you gonna steal from them? If you love somebody, are you gonna, you, you gonna give false witness against them in court and say they did something that they didn't do? If you love somebody, are you gonna wanna take away what they have? That's the coveting side, right? Kind of coveting really comes before stealing. It, it's not a matter of setting a goal and saying, yeah, I want you know, to get a, a vehicle like that or I'd love to have a home like that for our family and we're gonna work toward that goal. It's no, it's saying, no, I want that one. I want that one right there, right? And so then what happens after that is this process of manipulation and, and all of this evil that can happen. So it's a very interesting set of commands, but see, they're all fulfilled in that command to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Jesus kicked it up a step higher. Um, he, he used a better reference. So when we say love our neighbor as ourselves, love, you know, I should love you as I love me, then that presumes that I take care of myself. It presumes that I shower and eat. And so well, not everybody does that. Not everybody takes good care of themselves. So for them to use themselves as the, the measure of loving other people is not gonna be a good way to go about it. But Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, love one another even as I have loved you. So see what we do, if we wanna discover how we're supposed to love one another, we look at the cross. Jesus died for us. That's how much he loved us. And he died for those of us that are undeserving, we're all undeserving, but we're particularly undeserving before we even acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. But he died for everyone on that cross. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus said this in connection with the Last Supper uh, when he washed the disciples' feet. So that love is certainly sacrificial, but it also just is a matter of basic duties. You know, if you can do for someone else and you can help someone else, then even if you don't have this great affection for them, you are showing love toward them. So that's the, 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 the greatest commandment, the great mandate. It is to love the Lord your God with all you are and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, or as I said, kick it up a step and love one another as Jesus loves you, okay? Number two is the great commission. And we could just separate that out, that word out, 
the great co-mission, because you're not on this mission by yourself. That word commission indicates that you're not doing it by yourself. You are in a mission with other people, or at least with one other person. The Great Commission was the last commandment that Jesus gave his disciples, the apostles, before he ascended into heaven. So obviously Jesus died for our sins and he rose on the third day. He showed himself to his disciples over a period of 40 days. And then he appointed 12 to be the primary witnesses that will go into all the world and show everybody and tell everybody that uh, Jesus had indeed died for their sins and he had risen and has risen from the dead. So in Matthew 28, and by the way, if you're looking these, these passages up, the Shema, Shema Ho Israel, the Lord our Lord is one, that is Deuteronomy chapter six, beginning with verse one, um, is the, that whole context there. And the great commandment is found in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. If you wanna look that up, you wanna write it down so that you'll have that available to you. And then the great commission is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. That means Jesus is saying, I can do anything I please. And then he gave a commandment. Now, Jesus could have commanded us to do anything. He could have commanded us to, you know, build a great family. He could have commanded us to feed the poor. He could have commanded us to pursue world peace. Well, all of those things are very important, but that's not what he commanded us to do. He commanded us to do something that will help us to encompass everything else that we should be doing. He said, go into all the world, or you could translate the Greek, as you go into all the world, make disciples. That means make followers after Jesus, teaching them to observe everything that I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Actually, he said baptizing, then teaching. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. There's the co-mission side, right? Jesus didn't say, go and do this yourself, or even to the 12, go and do this yourselves. He said, no, I will be with you always. And then, um, in Luke's account of this, he tells them to stay in the city of Jerusalem until he pours out power from on high, and that's the Holy Spirit. And of course, you can go to Acts chapter 2, and you can see that that is indeed what happened. The disciples who were quite uh, fearful because Jesus had been crucified and their lives were being threatened, became very bold on the, uh, the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And then at the risk of their lives, in fact, uh, 11 of the 12 apostles were martyred. Uh, John, the beloved disciple, was the only one that wasn't martyred. So they all gave their lives for Jesus. And of course, John gave every moment of his life to Jesus. He was even exiled on the island of Patmos for a period of time, which is where the Lord revealed the book of Revelation to him. And of course, eventually he died. Um, but they gave their lives for Jesus. But, um, you know, Jesus said, wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So we have this co-mission that we are pursuing where we're going into all the world and we are, well, Jesus said, you are the, the light of the world, right? We, we reflect the light of Jesus to the world that we're in. He said, you're the salt of the earth. Well, salt gives savor and salt is also a, you know, a preservative. So before they had freezers like we do, you can put your meat in the freezer, they would preserve it with salt, you know, salted pork, that sort of thing. And so we're to be that in the world which reminds me of the chili cook-off today. I did make my chili, and I gotta tell you, it's the best chili I've ever made. 
Now, I don't know that I'm going to win. I'm not angling for that. You don't even know what mine looks like or what pot it's in, okay? But it's the best chili I have ever made. Now, here's the interesting thing. Sai is looking at me like, whatever, dude. You can't even measure up. I killed my meat myself. I didn't, dude. I bought grass-fed meat, though. I mean, it's healthy. But I, the reason I mentioned my chili, you know I'm promoting it, obviously. Um, I had two bowls of it last night. I had two bowls of my own chili. I was like, Daryl, that's really good. I think I need another bowl. But when I first tasted it, after I mixed it all together and you know had it you know cooking in there for a little while, I first tasted it, I was like, you know what? It has all, I can taste these other spices and then stuff that I put in there, but what it was missing was salt. Now, you don't have to put a lot of salt in something. I know some of you, some of you are really addicted to some serious salt. You're like, no, not enough, not enough, right? But when you put just the right amount of salt in something, it brings the flavor out of it, doesn't it? Have you ever eaten popcorn with no salt on it? Okay, yuck, sorry. But it's, and I'm gonna fire up the popcorn machine and I'll have popcorn for you guys this afternoon too. And you get some salt on it. Um, have you ever had a boiled egg with no salt or any kind of egg with no salt? Okay, you might be weird and like that, but that's just, I'm sorry. That's, that's the most bland, nasty tasting. But it's so weird, isn't it? You just put just the right amount of salt. Like I'm, my mouth is watering right now. I want a boiled egg right now. I'm sorry, I like boiled eggs. But you put that boiled egg in there and you just put a little bit of salt on it. And I like pepper on mine. You might not like pepper, but we're not the pepper of the world. So um, some of you are. Some of you are the pepper of the world, really. Some of you are the chili powder of the world, like really hot chili powder of the world, which is great. Some people like that. But I put a little bit of salt on that egg and I roll it around in there and then I eat it. Oh, it's so good, right? It's just wonderful. And I also like Tabasco sauce on my eggs. So you might not like that either. But see, salt, you know, that's kind of universal. Well, we're supposed to be the salt of the earth. And that means that we gather together as the church to worship and gathering is important, right? In fact, uh, in the book of Hebrews, I, I quoted this, uh, maybe not last week or maybe two weeks ago, um, but it says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to be gathering to worship more. And that means gathering you know, on Sunday morning like this where we all come together, but that also means gathering in your homes. All right, I, I've said, and, and I wanna see some more of you open your homes and decide that you're gonna have some sort of a fellowship regularly there and draw people in, draw our people in that are in your community, in, in the area, in the vicinity, but also that it allows you to invite neighbors that might not wanna come in this building, but they might come to your house. What I'm hoping is I you know, hang out at Intrinsic a good bit and I've invited uh, at least one of the, the workers over there to come over and sample our chili. And he was like, well, I think I'm working Sunday, but I might be off in time. So, you know, somebody else other than Nicholas might come over and, and then I'll stuff some of my chili down his throat and <laughs> show him what a wonderful cook I am. But the point is, wherever you're interacting with people, be salt to those people. Offer them something that's valuable to them. They may not see the value in Jesus, not yet but you can be the value of Jesus to them, amen? You can offer them something that they do need, they may or may not realize they need it, or you can offer them something that they think they need and it's not harmful, so you know, you're know you that to them. And you build this relationship and over that bridge, that relationship bridge, you share your life and you share your testimony 
And that testimony assumes you really do have a relationship with Jesus that you have to share. Now, if you don't have a testimony, then you need to get saved. And I'm not saying that in a mean way. You really do. If there is just not anything going on between you and God, then maybe you don't have a relationship with God at all. Or certainly, if there's nothing going on, you are ignoring that relationship. You're not pursuing that relationship, right? So those are the two major commands that tell us why we're here and what we're here to do. Obviously, you're not going to go into all the world and make disciples until you've chosen to be a disciple, right? You've got to choose to love God with all you are, and you've got to choose to follow Jesus. The scripture says, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. The scripture says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved, right? And then you open your heart and we say you accept Jesus or you receive Jesus, but it is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that brings Jesus into you and walks with you day by day, moment by moment, and offers to give you that that comfort and give you that counsel and provide the wisdom that you need to get through this life, the courage you need to get through this life, the Holy Spirit does that. And then as you share that with other people, listen, they may be offended, right? Someone was giving me a testimony yesterday of some visitors that they brought to church and they were offended. Listen, if you love people and you share the gospel, uh, there's lots of reasons for people to get offended these days because the devil is very, very active in speaking lies into people's uh, minds and people's hearts. And so, you know, if people are married to those lies and you speak truth to them, that truth is going to be offensive. But as long as you speak the truth in love, that's not what you need to worry about. Their response is not your responsibility. Say their response is not my responsibility. Right? They are going to respond however they choose to respond. And I want them to be free. I don't want to manipulate anybody into coming to church here. I don't want to manipulate anybody into praying a prayer or, or you know, saying that they're a believer when that's just not really who they are. And that manipulation could be emotional, it can be financial, it can be relational, whatever. But, we, you know, we don't want to do that. We just want to share our lives with people and be salt and light to them. That's how we offer that great commission. Now, um, Rick Warren breaks this down into five purposes. Okay, so let's go back up to the great mandate, the great commandment, right? So, you know, mandate, commandment, but that way you have great commandment, great commission, great mandate. That great mandate to love God with all you are breaks down into three purposes according to Warren. Number one is worship. Say worship. So hopefully that's what you're doing here, right? You are in a service you're gathered together with God's people. You're being prompted. You're being encouraged. You're, you're, you're being hopefully motivated by the music and, and by the teaching to offer yourself to the Lord, right? You're worshiping. Now, worship is not just what we do here gathered together. It's what we should be doing all the time. But there is something that we are doing here that's going to encourage you to do that all the time. And that's this service. And that's why we need to be together, right? We need to gather together. So for the purpose of worship, so that we can learn and be motivated and equipped to love God with all that we are. That's worship. And then there's fellowship. Say fellowship. So that's a very churchy word. You probably don't use that word uh, in any other context but church. But fellowship translates a word in Greek that just means participation or partnership, right? Right? Um, it involves community. 
And the word commune is in community. So we have to have these relationships with one another. And, uh, you know, I would assume, I would hope that this is something that you've learned during the pandemic, that we really do need these relationships, right? I mean, do you remember, uh, you know, a bit over a year ago, year and a half ago, when we were all locked into our houses and told not to leave and not go anywhere? Do you remember that? Do you remember what that was like? You know, now some of us are naturally more, you know, uh, loners to begin with. We're not big on crowds. I'm not big on big crowds either. But we need fellowship. We need communion. We need community. We need participation with other people. And that's why sometimes, you know, I'll just go to one of these restaurants around here and just hang out because, you know, I am not living in a home full of people or anything like that. And I want to just be around people, right? Um, even if I'm not doing anything more than just kind of hanging out and reading my book or something like that. But we need that communion, that participation. And so that is also something that is satisfied here on Sunday morning. It's something that is satisfied when we have uh, like the fall festival. You know, you come and, you know, participate with us and hang out and, uh, you know, enjoy everybody else's company. And, you know, you, you start getting the idea of that fellowship. So Wednesday night, I have a Bible study in here and I have a wonderful group of, of ladies and me and Lige and Jacob. And, you know, we we have the Bible study and I've been trying to quit a little bit early so that we have more time to kind of discuss and pray and so forth. And this last Wednesday, you know, true preacher, I just went right on to eight. Exactly. I looked up there, it was eight o'clock. I was like, oh, OK, well, you know, next time. Man, they hung out afterwards. They wanted to keep talking and they wanted to keep praying. And that's it. We need fellowship. And it doesn't have to be, you know, something that is a program. In fact, you know, I've indicated that I really would like some of you, some more of you to open your homes and decide to have these small group fellowships. But see, this is something you can do all the time. The question is, fellowship doesn't just mean hang out together. It means participation. It means partnership. In what? In the gospel, around the word. Does that make sense? So it's not just hanging out and eating chili. It is sharing your lives with one another and sharing what the Lord is doing in your lives with one another. That's fellowship, right? So the great commandment breaks itself down into worship and into fellowship and then into service, right? Uh, Jesus said of himself, he said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We weren't made to be little gods. We weren't made to be celebrities. We, you know, it's interesting to me that these people who have the lives we think we want are so profoundly unhappy. They may be able to fake it in front of you, but if you look at the level of drug use among celebrities, you would come to the conclusion that these are not very happy people. But they have all the money and they have all the fame. So why is that? Because that's not the way we're designed. You were designed for God. You were created for God. In fact, that's a, a scripture that we, uh, that we looked at together uh, a couple of weeks ago in, um, in my Wednesday night Bible study. We were in 1 Corinthians 8, and this is what verse 6 says. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. Listen, for whom we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. You exist for God. And so when you chase all of these other things, you're never gonna be happy. So worship 
is not just an emotion and pouring out our love for, for Jesus. It is service. And the way we serve God is by serving other people. That's what Jesus did. So Jesus tells this parable uh, about the, the end of, uh, of the world. And he said, in the end, the shepherd, that's Jesus, will separate the nations before him uh, like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he said, the sheep he'll put on his right and the goats he'll put on his left. And the difference between the sheep and the goats as far as what they were doing was not what you would assume. You know, if we know anything about sheep and goats, goats give milk, sheep give wool. But the difference was the sheep were those uh, who were willing to uh, feed the, the hungry and clothe the naked and visit the prisoners, right? And Jesus said, in that you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. That's what he said to the sheep. Whatever you do to help the least of these, you are doing to serve the Lord. And then of the goats who apparently refused to do those things and were just very selfish, he said, in that you have not done it to the least of these, you have not done it unto me. So they've left Jesus out in the cold and they've not been willing to feed him and they, because they're not willing to help those who are in need. So that's what we're here to do. And you know, service is something that you can do on a lot of different levels, but in a church context, this is something that you can do in a lot of ways just by walking in the door. So I'm gonna give you an example. Uh, I don't do this often enough, so I'm not breaking my arm, patting myself on the back. But I got here and I was looking out here along the side and lots of folks gather at the tavern across the street and they hang out until late at night. And then they leave all sorts of trash all up and down in front of our church. And so, you know, I kind of want you guys to feel, you know, comfortable and not feel like, you know, you're, you're coming into the dump or something when you come to church. So there's all this trash down there. So I went and put on some, uh, some gloves because I didn't know what's on the trash, right? And, you know, just picked up a little trash and, and it took me no time at all. I, it didn't even take me five minutes probably, right? So that's a thing, right? That's just a thing that I did to serve our church. Now, there are lots of people in this church that do far more than that, but I'm just trying to show you, you can do little things along the way. You can throw away bulletins, you can pick up trash, you can, honestly, you're, you're gonna serve when you are willing to be kind to other people in the room and go and make our visitors feel welcome and so forth and just help people, help somebody find the bathroom or you know, ask people how they're doing. We're made to serve, friends, now. You can kick it up to another level and you can volunteer. So we just had a meeting recently uh, of our children's volunteers. And I've told you we have two new children's ministry coordinators that are uh, that are stepping up. Uh, Sarah was the one that really took the lead in uh, coordinating for the fall festival. She's not here right now. Apparently she has a stomach bug. Uh, so we need to be praying for her because I don't know what we're going to do this afternoon. We're going to be scrambling around. Um, we'll figure it out. All right. We've got lots of people in this church that serve. But um, we, need, uh, we need people that are gonna be willing to serve in different capacities in our church. Uh, if you have agreed to serve in some area in the past and the pandemic in, influenced it or, or uh, impacted it in some way, um, step back into that role and that responsibility. If you wanna serve in some other area, then come up and tell me or fill out one of these feedback cards and say, hey, yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to serve in this area. And you know, really, it's just a matter of showing up and doing it. Um, you know, I can, I can tap a bunch of people and pick on a bunch of people, um, 
But uh, I'll pick on someone because I think that the people behind the scenes uh, should be given credit for what they do. Um, Autumn is up there running our, our, our pro presenter and all of this, okay? Now, if you've ever seen Autumn on stage, she's actually a phenomenal actress. This is somebody that can do stuff in front of the lights and really, really do a phenomenal job. And yet she's willing to sit up there behind pro presenter and do all this stuff, you press buttons and, and so forth, right? This is, you don't get the credit a lot of times and you know, hopefully I didn't steal her, you know, uh, her blessing from the Lord by just telling everybody how wonderful she is. But I'm very appreciative of that. We had Jacob, uh, Craig and Rachel's uh, son, who's in the Navy now, who did that from the time he was 14 and just, you know, every Sunday was just up there, uh, you know, doing it every week. It's somewhat of a thankless job, but you're getting the, the, the reward from the Lord. I may not be very good at giving you the, the encouragement that you need um, and telling you how grateful I am for what you're doing, but that's what we're wired to do. We're wired to serve. And when you serve one another, then you're going to be serving the Lord. So again, let's go to the, the Last Supper. Remember, I told you that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. That's service. He was the Lord. In fact, Peter was so offended, he wasn't going to let Jesus wash his feet. He's like, are you going to wash my feet? You're not. No, I'm not letting you do that. That's a dirty, lowly job. And you're the Lord. And Jesus said, what I'm doing now, you don't understand, but you'll understand later. And in the end, Jesus said, I want you to serve one another in this way. I want you to do the dirty jobs for one another. I don't want you to seek credit for it. And Jesus said, um, you know these things. You'll be blessed if you do them. So here I am. I'm throwing this out to you. And you know these things. Some of you have been in this church forever. You've heard basically versions of this sermon before. That's great. You know these things. But you're not going to be blessed unless you do these things, right? And when you're doing, sometimes it feels like a thankless job that you're doing, but you're going to seek the reward from the Lord, okay? Now, there's two more purposes that I think uh, that Rick Warren talks about, and they are more associated with the co-mission, the great co-mission, right? So those three that I just mentioned associated with the great mandate, the great uh, commandment, worship, fellowship, and service, right? Then we bump down to the Great Commission, and now we have discipleship. So we're told, as we go into all the world to make disciples. What's a disciple? That's a follower of Jesus. I am learning to be more like Jesus. In fact, the scripture says very clearly, those he foreknew, that is God, foreknew you. He also predestined, listen for it, to be conformed to the image of his son. You're not supposed to be like the latest celebrity, the latest athlete, you know, uh, jump in a particular tribe that, uh, you know, is stomping up and down for, you know, whatever rights are, are, are being trampled on here lately that, that need to have some sort of uh, assistance for people to overcome. You are to seek to follow Jesus and to become more like him. Discipleship is very simple. It's you becoming an apprentice of Jesus you getting in that, uh, that school of Christ, and it's a lifelong, lifetime school where you learn more about Jesus. Now, what, how does that happen? Well, you know, we're, we're heavy on that in this church. If you go to Pastor Craig's Bible study in the back at 930, he's teaching through Luke and Acts. You're going to learn to be a better disciple because it's all about Jesus. If you come to my study on Wednesday, you're going to learn to become a better disciple. We're learning what uh, the Apostle Paul taught in the Corinthian letters. And there's other ways where this happens. Our children are being taught uh, to be followers of Jesus. They're up there stomping around doing that right now. 
Okay, we need youth workers to help our youth to have this and to see this as well, because they need to be taught. They need to have those times when they sit and they, you know, we instill the teachings of Jesus and then they begin to distill it and make it their own. Everybody needs this. Small groups are the great place for you to learn and grow and to become more of a disciple. If you're not in a group like that, you're just kind of doing it yourself. Listen, you should be in the word yourself. You should be seeking to follow Jesus. You should be praying. You really should be doing these things. But we need each other so that we can be accountable to one another. We can motivate one another. And then there are people like myself and Pastor Craig. We've been educated to do this. So we have insights that we can share with you that can help you to be a better disciple, to be a closer uh, follower of Jesus. So discipleship, yeah, going to all the world and make disciples, that's absolutely important. And then the last one, the fifth purpose, and the second one that's associated with the great mandate, uh, excuse me, with the great commission, the mission, is mission or mission and evangelism. Now, if you've you know, been following along in your bulletin, all of this stuff is there for you to fill in so that you'll have it. I haven't been telling you, go here and write that and go there and write this. Um, but nonetheless, Mission and evangelism. Now, that is something that we do when we scatter from the church. We're to gather, and really everything else that I've mentioned can be done in the gathered church. But it's always uh, equipping and motivating you to also do that out in the world when you're scattered. You can worship in the world, you can have fellowship in your homes. Um, you can serve others in the world. We're, we're growing together to do that in church, gathered together, but you can do that, right? Uh, discipleship, yes, you can read the word on your own and, and access teaching and so forth, but we do that together. But this last one is really what you're gonna do primarily when you're out there in the world being salt and light. You're going to go on this mission that Jesus has presented and you're gonna share the good news. That's evangelism. Now, it is unfortunate um, that, uh, that that word has kind of lost a step, right? Um, particularly because politics has been associated with this term evangelical. Well, interestingly, evangelical originally just meant people that believe in the gospel. People that believe in the biblical gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose on the third day, and that you need to have a relationship with him to be saved. That's what it means to uh, to have that gospel and to believe that gospel. And then this word was coined at the beginning of the 20th century, evangelical, to say, well, that's the group of people that believe in that. But now it's, it's been much maligned and much misused. And that's really sad because it just means good news. Evangelism means good news. I'm sure. And today, my goodness, people need good news today. There's so much bad news out there. It's If you just watch the news, you get propaganda, and a lot of it is bad news, pointing the finger at the other side and saying how terrible they are and calling them morons and liars and whatever other terms. We need to share the good news. We need to be about that business. And so when we are gathered together, we're getting the equipment necessary so that we can go out. But when Jesus sent his people out, he sent them out two by two. So even this you're not doing by yourself. And this is something that can be done in a gathered context. 
So you're gathered here for worship on Sunday morning and you greet somebody and you start talking to them and you find out you can share your testimony with them. Maybe it's somebody that visited church and this particular person doesn't yet have a relationship with Jesus. So you, you know, could share that there. Um, these fellowship groups that I'm encouraging you to consider having in your homes, you can invite your neighbors. As I said before, they may not come to this building, especially some of you that live way out but they'll come to your house and eat some food. If it's a fellowship group, then it's fellowship around the word and around the gospel, and you're gonna be able to share with them, and they're gonna receive that, and again, their response is not your responsibility, but you can be doing that. But then again, wherever you go, you know, whether you go to a restaurant, or whether you go to your school, or whether you're on the job, or whether you're at your kid's baseball field, um, you can be open for divine appointments, for God to, to allow you to be on mission there sharing the gospel. Because as I said, the scripture that I quoted earlier from uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, could be translated as you go into all of the world. My old pastor, the pastor that was uh, pastor of uh, North Phoenix Baptist Church, when I came to faith as a 16-year-old, used to say all the time, um, you need to be involved in traffic pattern witnessing. Now, that just sounds real technical, right? But he was saying, you need to be sharing the gospel in the everyday traffic patterns of your life. You have lives, you've got to earn a living and you want to take your kids to the baseball field or the soccer field or, you know, you know whatever lessons and this and that. And you, you want to go out on a date with your spouse and, uh, you know, you have to go to work and all these sorts of things. But are you open for the Lord to move upon you and give you that unction and that anointing to share the gospel with these people that are around you. And then I left out social media. That's something uh, you can use to share the gospel all the time. In fact, that's an easy way for you to invite people to be involved in what you're doing here at LifeWell. Even if they're on the other side of the world, um, we're on uh, uh, we're on Facebook and, and more easily accessibly, we're on YouTube. And so just go to our website, lifewellchurch.com and click through there and figure it out. But it's just a, it's just a YouTube channel that I have. And, and man, you can, you know, share all the stuff that we do here and say, Hey, the, you know, this music was great. You should listen to it. Or, you know, here was a really good message that I think you would enjoy and, and so forth. I mean, we share all these other things all the time. It, it's not that hard to share what's going on in your life and with your church. And then, you know, maybe some of you are a little more, I don't know, uh, I guess, uh, extroverted and you want to create your little vlog vlog right I see everybody doing this there everybody's doing this hey and this and this and this you know or you know you've got people that like they're in their car and they've got this like plastered I guess because it's you know car is soundproof so you can shut the doors and you know and they're like preaching and they're telling you what's wrong with the country and we need to get that lout out of the office and get this lout into the office and, you know, everybody's preaching. Everybody's got something to say. Have some good news. You create your little vlog, all right? I'm not on TikTok, and I'm not getting on TikTok. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm done. But maybe you're on TikTok. Hey, TikTok dance for Jesus. You know, whatever you want to do. I don't know what you're going to do. Create something. But, you know, focus on sharing the light. Now, take your talent. Right. So I was talking to somebody uh, yesterday about getting involved in our youth ministry. And uh, he was saying, and this is somebody that cooks. He was saying, yeah, you know, we could get the youth to, to go up the street over here. There's this kitchen that's available and I can teach them how to cook some stuff. And, you know, we can do some different things with that. And I'm like, dude, that's really cool. You're just taking what you do. You're just taking who you are. 
And you're just sharing that with other people. And you say, well, I don't have those gifts and whatever. Listen, all of us do. We all have gifts and we all have talents. And you can share the gospel with other people through. People need to see Jesus in you and through you. It can't just be the professionals up here on stage all the time, right? In fact, I will tell you, it's going to be more convincing from you. And that means every age. So, you know, I got an 11-year-old right here that's paying attention who needs to share with other kids, right? Teenagers need to share with other teenagers. You need, it, just whoever you encounter, whoever you come across, we're to be sharing as we go. So there it is. That's why you're here. The question is, what are you doing about it? Well, if you're not doing enough about it, then start doing something about it. Now, I'm going to end with this because we were talking about building the church. And this is something, uh, you know, I laid out for you. This is all going to be something that's beneficial in your personal life and so forth. But it's going to be beneficial to us as a church as well. But I want you to look at your relationship with your church. right? So those of you that are online, you might be a different church. You might be visiting here. And so this is not your church yet. You just kind of checking it out or whatever. Or this may be your church. Here's my question. If the existence of your church were dependent upon people like you, would your church still be in existence? Hmm. There's people in this room that if everybody else was like them, this church would be unbelievable. Holy cow. Is that you? Be a different sort of Christian. Be the Christian that God called you to. It doesn't matter what's happened in the past. Start over today, right? Make a new commitment to the Lord today. And if you've never come to know Jesus or you're uncertain about that, call on Jesus' name. Say, come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to love God with all I am. And I want to go out into the world and share the good news. I want to fulfill that great commission. I want to fulfill that, that holy mandate, that great commandment. All right?